Hello, and welcome to Tales from the Leeds Library, the Leeds Library's podcast series in which we talk to members of our extended community about their lives, their work, and their relationship to books, libraries, and literature. To celebrate the launch of our first series, this episode is streaming live from the Old Librarian's Office here in the Leeds Library. Um, Founded in 1768, the Leeds Library is the oldest surviving subscription library in the UK and throughout this series we'll also be diving periodically into the library's rich history to find out what makes us and our members one of the most interesting and unique cultural institutions in Leeds and the UK. I'm Molly McGrath, I'm the project assistant here at the Leeds Library um, and in this first episode we'll be talking to Kevin Grady about its founding and early history and to Fiona Gettle about uh, literature and the library in Leeds today. So first I'm going to introduce Kevin. Hello Kevin. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you so much for being on our first live podcast. Um, Kevin Grady is the president of the Leeds Library and a specialist in the urban history of Leeds and its planning, development and heritage. He recently retired from 30 years as director of Leeds Civic Trust and in 2014 was awarded the Leeds Award by the City of Leeds and an honorary doctorate by Leeds Beckett University in recognition of his professional contribution to the development of the city and as a champion of its heritage. He's also the author of several books, including The Illustrated History of Leeds, The Georgian Public Buildings of Leeds in the West Riding, A History of Kergate from the Earliest Times to 1800, and a chapter on the early history of the Leeds Library in Through the Pages, 250 Years of the Leeds Library, which covers much of the topic that will form part of our discussion today. So, Kevin, my first question, I suppose, is how and why was the Leeds Library founded? That's It's quite broad, but... Um, I want to know who yes. was involved. Um... Well, would you like the one-hour answer or the five-minute one? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, the short answer is the Leeds in the 18th century was the seventh largest town in England, mm-hmm. and it had become extremely prosperous because of its connection with the cloth-making industry, so that Leeds, by the uh, 1760s, was dominated by an elite of very, very wealthy cloth merchants. And what used to happen was that clothiers in the West Riding made cloth, Mm. uh, woolen cloth on a handicraft basis out in the villages and hamlets of the West Riding and in the parish of Leeds itself. And they brought huge quantities of cloth into Leeds on market days to the uh, cloth holes by that point and uh, they sold it to the merchants. And these merchants were fantastically able people, particularly because they exported cloth to the continent and to America. And by the 1760s, it's an almost unbelievable statistic, but basically the Leeds cloth merchants handled one-third of all the woolen cloth produced in England, which at that time was one-sixth of the total exports of the whole country. So these people were very wealthy. But the the issue for Leeds, I mean, by that time, it sounds quite small in a sense, probably the population was about 17 or 18,000 and 25,000 for the parish. But nevertheless, you know, there weren't a lot of large towns in the country. But effectively, although they became very prosperous, you know, they were having their portraits painted by Sir Joshua Reynolds, you know, the the go-to aristocratic portrait painter, and they were living in fine mansion houses in the town of Leeds. Some of them had country estates, 
but Leeds itself wasn't quite keeping up in terms of its cultural amenities and they decided of course they had to show that you know they could keep up with everybody else and they wanted amenities of various mm. sorts so for example 1767 the year before the Leeds Library was founded Leeds General Infirmary was founded as one of you know the most important and first hospitals provided in the country and by uh, what 1771 they built this fantastic purpose-built infirmary in, in infirmary street there were other things going on they wanted the leeds first leeds theater purpose-built was built down just south of leeds bridge on meadow lane in 1770 there were a whole range of things they built a glorious assembly rooms you know they they danced till dawn in great <laughs> style till three in the morning you know in, in this assembly room in yeah. uh, in just at the back of the where the corn exchange is today but what they were lacking in was the question of you know cultural facilities literary facilities and uh, of course, books were very expensive at that time. And although no doubt they had some books at home, the fact was the founding of a library where you know their collective resources could actually buy mm. a collection of books. I mean, at that time, you know, the 1750s, there were circulating libraries in the country, but these were run by booksellers. They were sort of temporary things, booksellers, and they would lend these books out to people. But these were ephemeral, you know, if the bookseller went bust, the library went bust. And the idea of in Leeds founding a library where, in fact, you know, the key things was that you would have a permanent collection of books that would expand and, you know, you could have all sorts of books that you would like to buy that maybe you either couldn't afford or mm. you, couldn't, you couldn't buy the volume of them. And so it was decided that a proprietary library should be established in Leeds. And the key to this was uh, Joseph Priestley, who the year before 1767 had become minister of the Unitarian uh, Mill Hill Chapel. And he had come from a background, of course, he later famous as, you know, quote, discoverer of oxygen, all sorts of scientific fellow of the Royal Society, this sort of thing. He was a really forward thinker and relatively young. Mm. And so no doubt he touted round, you know, these wealthy people and said, well, how about, how about having a library? And uh, there was considerable enthusiasm. So they advertised and they said, ooh, Liverpool has got a very fine library, which does great credit to its residents and what have you, and enhances the town. Say, couldn't we have one like that? Mm. So the key to this was that they decided that they would pool their resources to establish a library. And it went on from there. And so we've got Joseph Priestley. What kind of men and women were involved as early librarians and members or well, shareholders yes i mean i mean this well yes let's just say first of all joseph ogle was a bookseller who had his uh, bookshop in kergate at the sign of the dial because it had a sundial above the shop and he was you know clearly people bought books from mm -hmm. him and, and he agreed that they could have their library in the back room of his shop so Joseph Ogle was the first librarian. In order to be a proprietary member of the library, you paid one guinea to buy your... It was called a ticket, but we would think of it as a share mm. of the library. And then you paid an annual subscription. And you know, there's an advert in the Leeds Intelligence, a newspaper saying... 
people who might be interested in this can meet at Mr. Meyer's Coffee House on Brigate. And, you know, if things go well, we'll use the Liverpool subscription library as a model. And that's what they did. And within a couple of months, Mr. Ogle in his, um, the back of his bookshop, uh, there were, I think there were, at that point, there were 103 proprietors who'd signed up and handed over their guinea. Mm. And so there were, I think there was 503 books in the back room of Mr. Ogle's bookshop. And of course, the point as you know, to make is that this was not just although the men did dominate, actually right from the start and throughout the history of the library, there have mm. always been women members. So that's been a particularly good thing. So they, they set up in the bookshop and Mr. Ogle would potter through to issue books to people. And of course, the, the big thing about the library and the wonderful thing about the library is that the original uh, deed that set the thing up said, no book will ever be sold. These mm. will accumulate. And although it has to be said, occasionally books have disappeared. I mean, a lot of books have gone soon because they wore out because people read them, you know, which of course is what we want people to do. But, mm. but effectively, the books accumulated and we have got the, um, the periodic lists of what the collection contained mm. and what have you. So we went from having what, 503 books in 1768, <laughs> and this table, I mean, this is fantastic. Yes. The table we sat at, it's got a brass plate on it somewhere, which said that this was presented to the library, and presumably the, the committee of the library sat round this table, and indeed, for many years, even 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 until, what, since certainly the last 10 years, yes. this has formed one of the tables which the committee, which is rather large now, mm. has... Um, has, has been In sat fact, at. Jane, the librarian, was telling me that this table was presented to the society before they even had a building. Well, exactly. So. <laughs> it, yeah, well, exactly. That's right. Because because we, we had books and we had a table. Yes. <laughs> but right. but yes. So so the early members, effectively, you've got the, the first president was mm -hmm. Mr. Kenyon, who mm -hmm. was a surgeon. Um, there were three uh, ministers: the Kershaw, who was the uh, vicar of Leeds. And then you get into a range of doctors. So William Hay, you know, the, the hugely famous mm. early surgeon of the infirmary, although he wasn't on the committee, he was an early member. Uh, Leeds Pottery, you know, that wonderful creamware mm. that was made, mm. established in the uh, 1760s. Uh, two brothers who established Leeds Pottery were committee members. And, well, wealthy merchants, of course, the Oates family, the Lupton family were involved. I particularly like Jeremiah Dixon, who at the time we had just uh, formed the library, he just sold his house, wonderful mansion house next to uh, Holy Trinity Church on Borley. He just sold it his partner to his partner Thomas Lee, and he had bought Gledhow Hall. Mm. And of course, you think about the Gledhow Valley and this wonderful, turned it in a wonderful uh, illustration painting of Gledhow Hall on the mm. hilltop, surrounded by this wonderful wooded estate with its wonderful walks. This is the category of member we had solicitors, lawyers, uh, those sort of people, industrialists. I mean, the uh, 
Charles Brandling, who founded Middleton Collier in the Middleton Railway. He was the one that had Joshua Reynolds knock up his portrait, you know, and tremendously wealthy. So industrialist professional men. But mm. these were, you know, these families continued as members of the life. In later years, you've got the Becketts and the Baines and the Luptons, the Marshalls, well-known industrialists of mm. the late 18th and 19th centuries. And, you know, shares that they had, you know, were in the family for 100 years, 150 years. Yeah. And you can years. trace them back up until the kind of, most shares can be traced back to the beginning of the yes, library. Yes, um, and as I, as I was showing you earlier, that I've got my share subscript certificate. I'm, I was until we became a charity shareholder, mm. 165. Yeah. And you can trace back mine, you know, having been owned by solicitors, tanners. I mean, the point, of course, is that shareholders, there were 500. Yeah. It was set at the limit of 500 by the, um, mm. the 1820s. And the thing was that this was your personal property. You owned one five hundredth of the assets of the library. And you could, it could be inherited by your family, mm. or as we see somewhere in the main room, we've got the board saying shares for sale, and basically, you know, you could buy one. And if you died, and there's some wonderful adverts for people saying, Mr. So and so has died, there's going to be an auction of his assets, uh, you know, sort of two dozen uh, crates of bottles of the finest Madeira yeah. and his share in the Leeds Library. <laughs> so, I mean, the thing is, I mean, it started off as one guinea yeah. to buy a share. But, of course, the books increased. By the time we've got to about 1800, the library's got, he's got about sort of seven or 8,000 books. By the end of the 19th century, I think it's 60,000 books. And, of course, today it's... 140,000 to say, although we've disposed of some, mm. few actually it's got bigger and bigger and bigger, and which of course means that this is where we get into the issue of, well, these, we had one room at the back of Mr. Ogle's shop, uh, we then got a second one because the thing had expanded, uh, he died in about seven years after we were founded, and his daughter, mm -hmm. Mary Ogle or Mary Robinson, uh, became librarian and she was librarian for the next 37 years amazing, amazing isn't it yeah. but anyway the thing was that by the 1880s think well we need more room and so the proprietors of the library met and they went to inspect the downstairs you might call saloon or front room of sir James Ibbotson's house. I mean, o Ogle's shop was on Kergate. The upper part is somewhere near where Superdrug is now on oh. Kergate on the north side. And then Sir so James Ibbotson's house, I mean, you know, it was a very swanky place. You know, he had fine, you know, he had you know, his fine carriage and his liveried people, and he sold it anyway. And, and, and so they acquired what they was a spacious and lofty saloon as on the ground floor as the new library room. The Ogles had the room across, which was their bookshop. And then upstairs, you had the rotation office where the uh, magistrates of the town met in rotation on a weekly basis. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we expanded. And then, of course, you think, well, we need something even bigger. This is really rather grand, you know. And so 1804, there's a lot of shuffling. Of what are we going to do? You know, should we have our own premises and what have you? And this is how we came to be here, in that in 1806, a plot of land was bought on what we now know as Commercial Street. 
And the thing there was that, of course, this desire for elegancy in life, the 1860s, that is, you know, merchants had lived cheek by jowl with, mm. you know, the ordinary people of Leeds with their mansion houses on Brigate or Ball Lane or Kergate or just south of Leeds Bridge. And they decided that Leeds had got so much busier that they wanted to, a bit of social segregation, I suppose we'd call it. And so the development of the park estate from the, you know, Park Road, Park Place, Park Square and what have you. So there was wonderful residential development with large squares out that way. And also Albion Street was created as an entirely residential street in the 1790s. And then about 1804, it was decided that wouldn't it be good to have a street that connected mm -hmm. Albion Street with Brigate? And so uh, Commercial Street stroke Bond Street was laid out. And there were these building plots here, but very, very select area. And the Leeds Library decided to buy a plot. And of course, this plot is what the Leeds Library is on today. We recruited Thomas Johnson as the architect for the building. And this all slightly restrained neoclassical style, which I mean, it's amazing how he managed to fit such a nice building on you know, a relatively shallow plot. And, uh, well, how do you finance it? You think 5,000 quid. I mean, the point is, at that point, you could buy a back-to-back -back house for £50. Mm. So 5,000 quid was a lot of money. So they touted around their members and said, well, would you like to buy a £50 bond interest-bearing in the Leeds Library, which we would repay over a period of time? Mm. And uh, so happily... 98 people said yes, and Leeds General Infirmary decided for some reason, of course there were a lot of doctors involved in mm. the library, they decided they'd buy two shares. So that 5,000 quid paid more or less for the erection of the front of this building, mm -hmm. so the main room. And But the great thing, and why have we survived? We've survived because they had the foresight to say, because they were commercial men, basically, and women, and saying, well, actually, if we had shops on the ground floor, we could get the rent from those, and that would help finance things. And, you know, of course, today we get half the rent from the shops on the ground floor of the building, which, of course, we own. And uh, that has meant that, whereas a lot of subscription libraries, we always say we are the oldest surviving subscription library or proprietary library of its type in the country. And we have survived for that length of time, basically, mm. above all because of the rents, the foresight of saying, mm, you know, let's let the ground floor. Yeah. And so we came here. So we moved into this building and of course it didn't, it originally, it wasn't this big, but because the collection kept being built up over time, yes. it had, there had to be a, a new room added on. So this is the new room. Yes. So this was added on later. Um, yeah. And I really like how the, the collection and the library has been so influenced and shaped by these characters yes. throughout its history. And it still is. And the, the collection reflects that because it's been, you know, most of the early books were donated by members and yeah. subscribers at the time. And the collection has continued to grow through member recommendations. So it really has been shaped by the, the people and the members who have been part of it over the years. Well, very much so. I mean, I mean, one of the privileges of being a member of the library was that you could nominate a book 
to be, I have to smile at this really, you know, you sort of say, well, you would suggest a book and it would be written the book saying, I would like the library to buy so-and-so. Mm. And then the general committee would decide <laughs> whether this was suitable. <laughs> and clearly something squeaked through because, yeah. because there was a resolution at an annual general meeting that three books, one written by a Frenchman, <laughs> were definitely not <laughs> suitable. <laughs> And, and they should be destroyed. And somebody wrote in the minute book when the trustees weren't there saying, we hope you will not follow this ridiculous instruction. Mm. And we're not quite... Well, I've searched hard for these books and yes. we don't know... Well, I think they were still here about 30 years ago, but... They were rather, rather exciting, a bit risque by the standards of the time. But, but no, no, you're right. I mean, the thing about the collection is that we started off with, mm. you might say, it was a sort of more or less on the lines of a gentleman's library with the standard works of literature that you might buy. And, and, and then about by 10 years later, when we look at the catalogues, it's probably about two-fifths is literature, you know, mm-hmm. the, the writers of the day, you know, the sort of the, the Fieldings, Lawrence Stern, Tristram Shandy, Gulliver's Travels, the Arabian Nights. Now, the Arabian mm-hmm. Nights could be a bit racy, I think. Yeah. But, but, <laughs> but, 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 but anyway, it, it, it was those sort of, you know, Voltaire's works in 35 yeah. volumes, whether that would be so exciting. But... but the thing was that the chief attraction for the members was that this was an age of discovery in science, in you know exploring the world and things, and we still have the most wonderful books about voyages of discovery, mm. about natural history, wonderfully illustrated. We have books about science, travel. Literature was about two-thirds of what we've mm. got. And mercifully, you know, another two-thirds would be the, you know, the geography, the history, the antiquity, those sort of things, natural history. Mercifully, our collection of books on theology... <laughs> Actually, we have got quite a large collection, but that was acquired in the uh, in the Victorian period, particularly uh, okay. when Doctor Hook and you know the High Church Party had got a bit of a grip. So yeah. we've we've come. We've are they in store, Fiona? They're just, here at Mill Hill. Oh uh, yes, well yes, Mill appropriate. They're Mill Hill. We've always had a very strong link with Mill Hill yeah. Chapel, right from Joseph Priestley's days. So, but. It's always worth saying, as you say, the collection. And we've got this wonderful collection of 8,000 Victorian novels. Mm. I mean, one of the great things is it's not that our book collection starts in 1768. Because I think our oldest book is 1483, Mm -hmm. Sir John de Mandeville's Travels in the Holy Land. We actually think he probably didn't go to the Holy Land, but you don't let that worry you. (laughs) But, you know, it it sort of it goes from that. And, and, I mean, just over there, I think, we we have the... um, we have our Civil War tracts. Yeah. And we've got about 560 tracts, and you can open yeah. these and you think, this, the speech is so, so-and-so, so-and-so went to the scaffold. Yeah. What did he have to say? Some but, of them are handwritten. Oh, it's a, amazing a, 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 to leaf through all these things. And yeah. then we have the Reformation tracts. You know, this is time of Martin Luther. and um, Unfortunately, most of them are in German, which is a bit of a, a problem. But the fact is that we've, all, we've, we've always collected special things as well as, you know, the literature of the yeah. day. Mm. And, and so they are in the collection. I still think about, you know, we've got... 
when David Hockney produced his The Bigger Book, which, you know, huge. I mean, what is it, is it called elephant size or something yeah, like I that? I think it is. You know, it's almost as big as this table. And we paid about £2,000 for this, but it's absolutely splendid. But it's part of the libraries wanted to collect special books mm. as well. as. But, you know, it's, it's a great thing, isn't it, that... As you say, over the time, our, the books that we've got, we've got a wonderful collection on slavery, for example, mm. apart from the travel books. It, 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 important things, people were interested, you know, in the politics of the day as well as everything else that was going on. And yeah. we've got wonderful journals, you know. I mean, from my point of view, you know, we've got the um, building uh, news, which, which, which is a journal that goes from about the 1840s throughout the Victorian period, mm. oh, of course, it's called The Builder, and literally that's telling you about all the new projects that are appearing yeah. across the country, yeah. and um, one the gardening magazines that yeah. go back to the, you know, the mm. 1860s with wonderful illustrations. And so, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm sure Fiona will say more about this, but the thing about this library is that it is a modern library. Mm. We, what we buy, what about 1,500 new it. items of things? Or you, I mustn't steal your thunder. <laughs> no, that's yeah. fine. But, 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 you know, I mean, the thing is, you know, when CDs were invented, we got CDs, yeah. this sort of thing now. DVDs. Or, DVDs, yeah. all sorts of things are online. We have a children's do. section, don't we? have we a do. travel section, very good, if you think of going on your holidays. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but, you know, it's, it's yeah. lots and lots of newspapers and all the main daily newspapers yeah, you can see either online now can, um, or in person. Yeah. And in that way, I, you know, the collection is a sociological record of yeah. the reading interests of Leeds. But that, I mean, that brings us quite nicely up to 1988 when you first joined the committee. Correct. Um, and so you were on the, the library's general committee for a number of years. But can you describe briefly the way the library worked um, during that period that you served on the committee? And again, it, so it converted to a charity in 2008, yeah. a bit about that yeah. process and those decisions. Well, well I, think, I think there are two things to remember is that when I joined the library, there were 500 proprietors, shareholders. Technically, we owned... I was thinking this morning, how, what, how many books did my share mean I owned, in a sense? But, yeah, mm. we were a private library. We, effectively, it was 500 families. You bought a share. Surprisingly, the shares weren't all that expensive. I think I only paid about 50 quid for my share. But mm. generally, there seemed to be a bit of a notion that when, when people... You know, died and shares became available. You had to wait for a share, or put, put, like putting your name down for Eton or something <laughs> like that. You know, you wanted a share, and it it was very much quieter. Things were done in a very nice way, but the um, it was quite formal. You know, mm. meetings. It was Doctor Grady and Professor So and So and Mrs So and So and this sort of thing. So it wasn't as relaxed as it now is, and of course, it's great now, isn't it? Because you can feel very much at home in the life, but it was quite formal. And, you know, it was really a relatively closed institution. Very few people knew mm. about it. I mean, this is one of the things these days, isn't it, that you know that anybody who has not been into this building and seen the library, they walk through the door and their jaw drops. It's absolutely astonishing. And people have walked past that door down Commercial Street yeah. for the last 30 years and I had no idea what was... I mean, I, I brought some... Well, I'm sorry, I must go back to your question. <laughs> but but, 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 but so things were comparatively formal. It was a very nice institution mm. to be part of. 
But the fact was that I think that of the 500 shareholders, I suspect that at least 200 virtually never came into the library, and they thought, if I own a 500th of that, should it close down, mm -hmm. I might get a nice sum of money. So the point was that we wanted to open it up to mm -hmm. more readership, we wanted more of the general public to begin, and all that sort of thing. And so I think in the about 19... 91-ish, something like that, that we decided that we should have associate members. Yeah, 1991. And so we decided that we would, we would open it up to 150 people. And because the worry was, oh, will this change the ambience mm. of the library? Mm. Oh, you're going to get another 150 people. They might actually start reading lots of books yeah. and <laughs> causing trouble. So, so, so we did that. And we were very encouraged because people did join. Of course, we made sure they had to pay more in an annual subscription than the shareholder. Mm. I mean, it wasn't a lot of money, but basically. So that opened things up to some extent. But we were very conscious that really for a library of this quality. Mm. I mean, people could come in to do research. We didn't sort of push people away, but we wanted people to feel welcome. And so in, uh, as you say, 2008, we decided that actually we should open the library up yes. fully and convert it to being a charity. Now, of course, the tricky thing was that, of course, you're saying to 500 people, you have to forego, you have to give up your proprietary mm, yes. rights. And, because we, we had to explain to people that actually, had we closed the library down under uh, it's a, sort of a, a scientific and literary institution, it's an act of parliament, which said, had we closed the library, actually we would have needed to transfer the library and its books to a similar institution. So, so in fact, we wouldn't have got, we wouldn't have got one five hundredth yeah. of the assets. But basically, that move, and we, Michael Meadowcroft and I were sort of, you know, Labour liberal politician. We had to run this thing like almost like a political campaign because yeah. you think we, we had to have a High Court ruling, mm -hmm. and the High Court ruling said that two thirds of the membership had to agree to mm. the, the proprietary rights being ended. So we had, you know, lists, lists, lists who had to be contacted. We had five stages, what you did if they hadn't replied to the letter and this sort of thing. And in the end, as it happened, we had, we had a meeting at Mill Hill Chapel and there were only uh, three objectors. So mm. it, it went through very nicely. So, of course, that has opened up mm. the field. So anybody who wants to be a member of the Leeds Library can walk through the door and they'll simply be asked to pay a subscription, sign a form, yes. and they're in. And I think that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. it's definitely the, the right way forward. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, interestingly, today we, we changed our categories today, so we've broadened our membership yeah. categories even more. Yeah. So we have concessionary and remote access, and it's wonderful. And I suppose... Um, Leading on from that, my kind of final yeah. question for you is what do you see for the future of the library and what place do you think that independent libraries have in the UK today and what should they be striving to achieve for future generations of library users? Well, well I think there are two things about the future of independent libraries. I mean, we're all very conscious that libraries today, public libraries in particular, are under terrible financial strain mm. and that effectively that particularly with the you know the internet and Wikipedia even you know reading online that there are, there are there are a lot of people who absolutely love 
physical books. Mm. Of course, the library is doing a lot of online stuff as well, and so we're adapting to the modern age. But the fact is, the sheer pleasure of physical books and retaining a collection like this is so important. And so I think independent libraries are sort of can continue to fly the flag and serve a need which frankly is disappearing you know facilities for it are disappearing across the country so that's one thing i think to me that the really key change in the library over the last 10 years has been the fact that when i joined Apart from the annual general meeting and the annual sherry party, that was about it. In ter- oh, yes, there was a book group, mm. but that was pretty much it in terms of the interaction of members. And that what has happened, particularly you know, in the last you know, well ten years, but pr- particularly the last five years, is that we have a tremendous program of events. Which mm. I mean, the year after I became president was our two hundred and fiftieth anniversary year, and we had the most phenomenal. Program. I think 100 events in the library. Yeah. You know, we had you know the West Yorkshire Playhouse performing here, Opera North performed here. Uh, we had poetry readings. We had you know the sort of literary festival type of interviews with people. We had perform. You know, we had we had Frankenstein sort of event, didn't we? <laughs> Where uh, we, yes. The, the monster's body came to life under a <laughs> under under a curtain, a, a, a blanket on this very on this table, very as everybody table. <laughs> shot through the roof in shock and what have you. But the thing is, these these are things are very accessible events. You know, all all sorts of arts events. And the thing is that Leeds needs a central cultural institution mm. for literature, reading, poetry all of these sort of things, performance and what have you. And over the last five years, we've demonstrated, Fiona will no doubt talk about, Mm. Leeds Lit Fest, of which we've been a key member. But the thing is that this has broadened the appeal of the library tremendously. And I think if the library is to survive, there are all sorts of things it can do. But being a recognised hub where people can come and say, if you want to know about literature, you get I mean, I, I love uh, chelping. I mean, it's a fantastic thing. Open mic poetry in the, uh, what we call the new room. It may be 140 years old, but it's still the new room. <laughs> but, uh, but open mic poetry, evenings, and you think, oh, I said to some of my friends, come along to this chelping. Oh, what poetry do we want to come? <laughs> yeah. I said, oh, it's very different. And yeah. it's fantastic because, you know, two halves in the evening and you, and you get... Good performers come up from London, various things, and they do their poetry. And but then members who've you know writing because this yeah. we've got a lot of writers, novelists, haven't we? Poets, and they perform. Simon Armitage, the poet laureate, is our patron. Yes. But the thing is that this is really lively stuff, and you see sometimes rather eccentric people. I remember yeah. one poet we had on. She said, <laughs> "I'm not sure you'll like this. Next. I've been banned from YouTube for this stuff." And you think, "Oh, this is exciting, yeah. isn't yes. it?" But, but but the fact is, anybody I brought along to this, you know, have been converted. Yeah. You know, this is yeah. really rather exciting. Yeah. And so, to me. We perform the role of a library with a historic collection, but a very modern, up-to-date collection. Fantastic. And then we we have all these events. And yeah. as far, you know, Fiona and I and Carl, chief executive, and the trustees, etc., are very keen that we fill this library with activity and yeah. people. Yeah. Well, this 
Wonderful. Thank you, Kevin, actually, for talking about the, the early history of the yeah, Library and, and more recent history. It's really interesting. Uh, but I guess this kind of allows me to introduce Fiona, who's yeah. the Marketing and Communications Officer at the Leeds Library. Um, and she's been really involved in the podcast um, from the beginning. So we're going to talk a little bit about that and about the, the library exciting. today. Um, so Fiona is a librarian by background whose passion for literature in Leeds has seen her working closely with the local literary scene for many years. Years. Alongside her role here at the Leeds Library, she also runs Leeds Big Bookend, the Northern Short Story Festival, and is a partner in Leeds Lit Fest. So Fiona, before we um, get into discussing the podcast in more depth, I want to ask you about the literary scene in Leeds today. Uh, the Leeds Library has always been at the heart of a thriving literary culture in the city. And what, I mean, what makes Leeds such a fantastic and inspiring place for writers and readers? Well, I, I think the literature scene in Leeds is thriving. It always has. Uh, historically, that's proven, um, but it's bubbled under the surface a little bit. And I think in the last decade since I've been doing all the literature work that I do in the city, um, it, we, we've given a platform and a voice to uh, diverse voices, young people, in fact, anybody who is a writer. Mm. And that can be poetry, open mics, spoken word, anything really. Uh, and, I, and I think there's a confidence there now to sort of promote themselves and, and turn up at events and do open mics and and, you know, put themselves out there. Mm. Uh, and the, the sheer diversity of what we have to offer, uh, it, it's wonderful. And it's just totally buzzing and thriving. And I think once a year, the culmination of that is Leeds Lit Fest. Mm. You know, as Kevin's already said, and the library was one of the founding partners of that and a principal partner. So again, it, it's true to its roots of sharing knowledge, networking, communicating, supporting, mm. uh, and, you know, creating this wonderful hub of activity uh, that is the Leeds Library. And it, I mean, the library was founded as a place for people to kind of meet Indeed. and discuss the issues of the day. Yeah. So, I mean, it's really wonderful that it's yeah. continuing to do that and Indeed. bring that into the, the 21st century yeah. in a and way. It, you know, it's a showcase. Yeah. And, you know, what Leeds doesn't do very well, and I'm not quite sure why, but it, we're kind of very understated in promoting ourselves. Uh, and where other cities maybe shout louder and, mm. you know, longer and harder, we've never really done that. But I think now that's all changing and I think, you know, Leeds it should be rightly proud of its literary heritage and its future because that's what it's all about. Mm. It's inspiring young people coming through uh, and, you know, giving them giving them ways of, of, of expressing themselves. And so where did the idea for this podcast come <laughs> from originally? What was the kind of impetus behind well, it? Well, the impetus, as Kevin has already mentioned him, is Carl Hutton, mm-hmm. our chief executive <laughs> here at the library. So it's been Carl's... Um, kind of dream really for several years to have a podcast series coming out of the library um you know because it, it, it's a fantastically popular medium uh it, very accessible people can listen to their podcasts whenever and wherever they want to uh, and really critically the library has so many tales to tell uh, and it you know it's everything on the shelves the history its members uh, and the people that we meet on a daily basis so why not put it into mm. a podcast and share that, and you can share it far and wide, and you know internationally uh, uh, as well as you know with people in Leeds. So yeah. it's so accessible, uh, and hopefully it will, it will allow people to engage with us in a different way. Yeah, and that does really fit into the library's recent program of work that totally. is really kind of trying to fit into the contemporary culture of the yes. city. Um, so what kind of other, we've talked a bit, you've talked a bit about shelping. Yes. What kind of events do we kind of have Well, on? I mean, <laughs> Kevin has alluded to, to them broadly and shelping mm. in particular. 
Uh, and if you're interested and want to see what Chelping is all about, uh, this Friday we have the internationally renowned Joelle Taylor, who opened our first Chelping event, which Kevin was at, and I was too. Yeah. Um, and she's just fantastic. And she's back here at the library at half past seven uh, on Friday. So come come along and, and taste Chelping. <laughs> um, but also, you know, we've had uh, live theatre quite regularly. And we tend to go for sort of quirky events. And mm. um, our next live theatre performance is Nunky Theatre coming back to do some of their M.R. James um, uh, story portrayals. Yeah. Uh, and they're fantastic, and they go so well in the library because of the atmosphere here mm. as well. Mm. And Robert Perry is just a brilliant performer. And so that's coming up soon. And uh, as another example, we have the Independent Libraries Association Conference at the end of uh, September, where our 30 fellow li library institutions, 30 or so, probably more than that now, are coming here um, to talk about all things independent libraries. Mm. So that's just a small snapshot of what's coming. And in the past, you know, we've done opera, we've dance, art, performance, uh, you know, everything. And, uh, and we're not frightened of trying new things in mm. the library. And that's also part of the, the sort of philosophy behind mm. it. You know. Well, I suppose, that, I mean, this is the, the topic that will be discussed at, at the ILA conference. But why do you think it's important that we support indie libraries? And what do they kind of bring to yeah. the communities? We talk, were talking a little bit earlier about... The difference between having a real physical space or a real physical book yeah. as opposed to just kind of reading stuff yeah. online, although that's amazing and really opens up the work that we can do. Yeah. Um, it, there's still something amazing about having a kind of physical space to, to exist in. Totally. And, you know, if anybody, anybody that comes to this library or any of the independent libraries will be inspired mm. uh, and want to come back and want to become members. Mm. Um, you know, and, and, and here it's just, it's just wonderful. Uh, and, you know, in terms of indie libraries in general, it, they're her often heritage buildings. So they contribute to the culture and the heritage of a city and, mm -hmm. and the UK. Uh, they have in unique collections that you will not find anywhere else. You know, our collection goes back to 1768. Uh, and, you know, how thrilling is that? You know, for our founding fathers, uh, you know, uh, uh, we can touch some of the books that they held themselves. And for me, that's a wonderful thing. And actually, in the room we're sitting in, just They're up there, up yeah. there <laughs> yes. are, is the sort of core of our 1768 yeah. collection. And, you know, for, for me to see that is just wonderful. And that collection has been wonderfully and beautifully rebound by Brian, our book yes. conservator, who's, yeah. who's been on the podcast and told us all about his, his work. Uh, yes. And all the way books can go yeah. mouldy, which I think is really interesting. And, so, well, yes. Well, yeah, but and another point about indie libraries is that they are so interested in their communities, their communities of members, which we value enormously, but also the wider community, so the cities that they're in. Mm. And we engage very much with our, um, mm. you know, the Leeds community and wider. Yeah. So, you know, the, it, it, they function on so many different levels yeah. and they're so important. And I think we've got actually a good mixture of, of people on on the podcast talking about all things to do with libraries, oh. literature and heritage. So we've got, I mean, we've got firstly staff. Yes. So I don't know if you want to talk a little yes, bit about the I kind mean, of episodes I, there. I think Kevin will chip in here as well. But we, we've got, uh, in, in this first series, we have Jane Riley, our librarian, who's probably on her way to hitting the record for the 
oldest serving librarian in yeah, terms of that, years. Yeah. She won't be far off very soon, you know, and yeah. she's just amazing. So Jane knows so much about the gems of the collection and the, the collection in itself. Mm. Then we have Brian, as you've mentioned, talking about the detail of the book bindings and their beautiful covers and how they were done and, and all those sort of, you know, conservation issues that come around books. And then we have Anna talking, Anna Goodridge, our assistant librarian, talking about ghost of the Leeds Library and I'm not going to say any more because it is a thrilling and fascinating mm. story and you've got to listen to I that think one. that one will be coming out around Halloween kind uh, of time yeah, I think, coincide with yeah, Halloween yeah. I think that's <laughs> wonderful and then you know we move we move again back into the indie libraries yeah discussions, and don't we've we? got well we've got Louise Yates who's the director of collections and research at Gladstone's library talking yes. about mm. everything to do with indie libraries and why they're important yes um but we've also we've got authors and poets and James Nash is an amazing poet um, who has written some of his work about the Leeds Library and here in the Leeds Library and so his uh, look out for his episode, which will be coming out next week. Yes, on the he's our his first is, uh, um, official yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, of the series, isn't he? Yeah, but his sonnet, I mean, that he, he we were lucky enough to get yeah. him to read his sonnet that was written about the Leeds Library, and that's just an amazing kind yeah. of experience. I mean, it, I mean, we're so lucky, aren't we, that writers are, again, inspired by the surrounds of the library, because also, not just poetry, but we have um, we have a whole novel that was set in the library, Death of an Avid Reader by Francis Brody. Mm. And it's a cracking read, people. It will, <laughs> if you are already a bit nervous to go down in the basement, it will make you even more nervous. That's all I will say yes, about that Don't one. go down to the basement when the lights Do, are Do, because it's amazing. <laughs> uh, and, you know, uh, taking that further, um, we have Chris Nixon as well. Mm-hmm. Chris has written so many books steeped in the various periods of um, Leeds's history. Yeah. Uh, he's a historian himself, but, you know, a great writer and, mm-hmm. you know, so rooted in Leeds and, mm. and it's just wonderful, wonderful to see. Yeah. You know? And well, we've got Sean Page as well, who's another local historian yeah. who also has a local history podcast. Shout out to yes. Leeds Echoes. Um, and he also talks about kind of interesting and creative ways to explore heritage and how that can be brought to life yeah. through the arts. I mean, Sean's podcast is fascinating. Mm. I learned so much and... Um, you know, about, about local level history mm. and just, just wonderful mm. stuff. And then, you know, to continue the history theme, we have the wonderful Joe Williams from Heritage Corner who just tells you, will tell us so much about um, Leeds Black history. Uh, and he's so engaging and entertaining and um, knowledgeable. You know, I, I've learned so much from Joe. Uh, uh, and equally with uh, Emily Marshall, one of our um, yes, members who... who also wrote a book here in the Leeds Library, <laughs> American Trickster. And we talk a bit about that and her yes. work with um, Remember Oluwale, which yes. is a charity here in Leeds. And, and also Carnival. Leeds Carnival, yeah, that was really exciting. Oh. The oldest West Indian carnival in the UK is in Leeds. So, yeah, that was, I mean, that was actually really one of the most fascinating conversations yeah. I've had in maybe ever (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then yeah and then also we've got Ruth um, Ruth Robbins on who talks about her work with the Victorian collection here in the library so she has written amazing amazing uh, books on Victorian fiction and um, feminist literary theory we talk about her book literary feminisms and it's all kind of again tied to the history of the library and and, and the so Victorian, is Ruth. Yes. yes, you know, yeah, uh, it, you know, she's one of our trustees. So you know, yeah. it, it's wonderful to to sort of explore so many different facets mm. of the library community. Um, yeah. You know, sort of internally and externally. Yeah. And I think you know, uh, I'm very proud of this first series, and I think yeah. uh, both Molly and Jack, who's mm-hmm. behind the scenes yeah. here, should be very proud as well. Yeah. They, you've done a fantastic job. 
Wow. Well, I mean, that remains for me to say thank you so much to, for you, Fiona, yeah, and thank brilliant. you, Kevin, for, for talking about the library. Can we just add one thing, of course? We will feature on TV soon, won't we? Uh, yes, mm. and, and not to forget that we are one of the uh, featured locations, uh, filming locations for A House Through Time, which is the um, this episode uh, series episode is going to be set in Leeds, uh, and uh, that airs on BBC Two at seven uh, seven thirty. Oh, I'm not sure on September the seventh. Anyway, yeah. So we're really looking forward to everybody engaging with the library that way, and a wonderful series. Yeah. Um, you know, exploring his, the history of a Leeds house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we haven't mentioned that people can get married here. Do you know, we haven't. <laughs> yes. People frequently do. And people do, you know. Yes. So, yes, I mean, I, that's another facet of the library that people probably don't even know about. We should do a podcast about weddings. We should, do, yes. we should get someone who's got married oh, in the library to come on the podcast and talk about it. Yeah, that's a I good idea. So. <laughs> yeah, and I think before we sign off, we have to say thank you to Jack yes. as well. Well, yeah. thank you so much to Jack, yes. who has been working behind the scenes, um, sorting out all of the tech and just, yeah, not have done this without him so thank you very no much Jack <laughs> thank you both of you oh it's been um, a pleasure thank you Molly this has been really wonderful so I mean links to more information about our guests and any work talked about can be found in the description if you'd like to find out more about the Leeds Library and any of our upcoming events please visit our website at www.theleedslibrary.org.uk or you can follow us on Twitter Instagram or Facebook at the Leeds Library Thanks again for listening and keep your eyes and ears peeled for more episodes of Tales from the Leeds Library in our future podcast episodes released every Wednesday. That's great. That's wonderful. (laughs) Thank you, everybody, for listening. Yeah, thank you.